But we begin tonight with new insight on Canada's population, Canada's aging or aged population these days. StatsCan released data today from the 2021 census that shows that more than 20% of working age Canadians are close to retirement. That won't come as a surprise. We've been discussing that for years now. All G7 countries are in somewhat similar situations. But never has our workforce been so old. And that's not all. The number of people 85 and older has doubled since 2001 and could triple by 2046. The rapid growth, of course, is a trend that health policy experts have long been warning about is People 85 and older obviously have typically higher health care needs. That could stretch an already overburdened health system in a critical way. Laura Martel is the director of the Centre for Demography at StatsCan, and he says ensuring seniors get proper care will be a challenge. That's obviously a question for policymakers. I mean, uh, they will have to... Uh, they will have to find ways to deal with the situation, but they certainly can look at what other countries, for example, have done throughout the world. Laura Martel, the director of the Centre for Demography at StatsCan. Looking at other countries is something my next guest knows a lot about. Dr. Samir Sinha is the director of geriatrics at the Sinai Health System and University Health Network in Toronto. He's also director of health policy research and co-chair of the National Institute on Aging, uh, Toronto Metropolitan University, formerly Ryerson University, think tank focused on the realities of Canada's aging population. Thank you so much for your time on what is a, a big day for this topic. Thanks for having me. I would, I've started this, you know, I was going to start with the most obvious question. Were there any surprises in today's data for you? I gather probably not. Not really. I mean, this is one of those things where I've been, you know, closely looking at this data for years. And uh, as a geriatrician, as one of the rare doctors in Canada who specializes in the care of older adults, um, I knew at the start of my career, you know, the year that the baby boomers started turning 65, only a decade ago, that we would be here um, on this day at this number. And that, frankly, we're right on track so that by 2031, one in four Canadians will actually be an older adult and our baby boomers will start turning 85. So um, everything is, is, you know, you know, they're, you know, statistics don't lie and demography doesn't lie. Um, we're a pretty predictable bunch of individuals. I think what's, what's been unpredictable is how we're going to respond to meet the needs of our aging population and why we're not doing more to, uh, to get it done. You, it's funny that you mentioned that because my mom turned 75 today. You know, she's a baby boomer. Um, and obviously we've thought a lot about what lies ahead. And this is a conversation that I feel like, and you've certainly studied it a lot, but I feel like it's a conversation we maybe haven't had enough of over the years. We certainly talked about long-term care during the pandemic, but I understand that you see a lot of red flags in the way that we um, take care of, of, of our elder Canadians. Yeah, I think the challenge is first and foremost, foremost is that when we created Medicare back in 1966, uh, we actually created a system uh, for a population whose average age was 27 years of age, and when we didn't often live beyond our 60s. So I can forgive all of us as Canadians for actually creating a system that works really well for younger people, people who don't tend to have chronic diseases, are not living with dementia, and, and need a lot of kind of in-home or other forms of long-term care. You know, I get it. I, I get that's why we never enshrined these parts of care into our Canada Health Act. But now long-term care, if you think about 
um, you know, nursing home care, care, care in people's homes. It's the largest form of care in Canada that's not included in our universal health care system or, or, or our Canada Health Act. So it, we really have left it up in a very piecemeal way to the provinces and territories to kind of figure it out. Um, and because we haven't never had a real national focus on these on, on this area of care, uh, it really starts to become quite variable how provinces and territories have kind of dealt with it. And collectively, what's led to the fact is is that because we've always been focused on issues related to a younger uh, population. Now that we're aging rapidly, we also see that compared to the other major OECD countries or G7 countries, we tend to spend 30% less on, on providing you know, forms of long-term care like in-home care or, uh, or nursing home care. We, we spend about 30% less than the average major country, um, and, and therefore we shouldn't be surprised to see that it just took a pandemic to really show all of Canada how fragile our long-term care system is, especially when we underfund it so much. Dr. Sinha, I was stunned by that stat, the 30%. I mean, I figured it would be something like a 10%, but a 30%, that's a huge, huge gap. It's massive. I mean, because when you when you, you realize, like, wh- why was Canada's death rate in our long-term care homes literally double um, what the international average was? Um, you really get the results, you know, that you pay for. And when we, when we, when we've let, you know, this entire system of care operate in the shadows, for example, where people are really making kind of are are, are being paid, you know, pretty poor wages compared to their colleagues working in publicly funded hospitals. Um, it, you know, it starts to make sense pretty quickly that if you're not investing appropriately. Uh, now you can understand why it's really hard to recruit people to work in the system and why there's always a revolving door of workers in the system because it doesn't represent well-paid work that recognizes the skill that it takes to care for uh, an aging population that's complex as well. So so it's one of those things where I think it, it's helpful when, as a country, when we're starting to think about aging, when we start looking at ourselves compared to other countries, we realize that now that we are aging or now that we are aged, um, it is time that we start making the appropriate investments because now when we hear about um, hospital beds that are filled with older people who can't go home, um, we have to realize that's because we underfund our system so much, there aren't enough appropriate long-term care beds. There's not enough appropriate home care. And when we hear that, oh, there's 50,000 Canadians waiting for a nursing home bed, well, a different stat is should be helpful for Canadians because we have to realize there's 500,000 Canadians with unmet home care needs and one in three older adults who's receiving government-funded home care says they're not even getting enough to meet their needs. So then we shouldn't be surprised that if we underfund our home care system, it's what actually drives institutionalization, ironically, in more expensive settings like acute care hospitals. And so we're actually just wasting our money uh, by not actually spending more effectively in areas um, that will actually create a more sustainable healthcare system. Yeah, that was one of the things that you've pointed out in different forums that I always thought was very interesting that it's not only that we, we, it's not only that we're not spending enough, we're spending it improperly to some extent. And you've often talked about this lean towards institutionalization uh, for elder care and just how inefficient it is throughout the system, that it clogs up the whole system in some sense. And it's not even the best care we could be giving. 
Yeah, because again, if you ask anybody, where do you aspire to age? I, I haven't met a Canadian yet who says I aspire to end up in a long-term care home. And certainly during the pandemic, when many Canadians became exposed to um, the realities of living in a long-term care home and, 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 and the poor quality of care that's sometimes provided just because we underfunded so much, uh, we saw you know, a huge shift in public opinion. We now had 60% of Canadians who've now said, for example, that they've shifted their thinking as to whether or not they'd ever think it would be acceptable to age in a long-term care or retirement home. And now we have close to 100% of older Canadians and over 90% of Canadians in general saying they will do everything humanly possible to stay in their own homes for as long as possible. The challenge is, is that for many Canadians, they don't actually have the financial security in retirement to afford private options that might be able to keep them at home. And many don't aren't aware that if you have to turn to government-funded options, um, you're looking at maybe a few hours a day at most, and that's in a 24-hour day. Um, and a lot of people think, well, uh, my children will look after me. Well, with the declining birth rate that was emphasized in today's um, um, census uh, data release, we know that actually people are having fewer children. And even if you are having children, um, it's not a guarantee that they're going to be living in the same community as you are as you get older. And so we also know that in about 30 years' time, by 2050, there will be 30% fewer available family caregivers um, than we currently have, if you will, you know, proportionally. And uh, and so whoever's remaining, if you, you know, in the old days, if you had three or four kids and now you only have one, well, those remaining family caregivers who are around are going to have to up their productivity by 40% to meet the same amount of care that unpaid family caregivers are currently providing, which tends to be 90% of the home care that people actually end up receiving is usually from family members and friends in an unpaid way, only 10% usually from government sources. I heard it today referred to as a date with demographic destiny. Uh, Dr. Samir Sinha of the Director of Geriatrics, the Sinai Health System and University Health Network, Director of Health Policy Research and co-chair of the National Institute on Aging. Uh, when we come back, there is, in fact, a good example of what Canada might or should be doing out there just on the other side of the Atlantic in Denmark. And we're going to talk about that after this. I'm speaking with Dr. Samir Sinha, Director of Geriatrics at the Sinai Health System and University Health Network in Toronto, Director of Health Policy Research and Co-Chair of the National Institute on Aging. We're talking about census data released today that shows the huge growth in the number of people over the age of 85 and over in this country, and just the implication that's going to have on our healthcare system, specifically long-term care. I was reading a stat today, Dr. Sinha, that the CMA, Canadian Medical Association, says home care demand is expected to increase by 50% in less than a decade. Uh, you've looked at Denmark as being a shining example of where Canada could bring itself if it starts now, sometime in the next while. Absolutely. I mean, I think I think people start looking at these issues and say, my God, you know, like, where do you even begin? Um, you start seeing some of the reports about our long-term care system and, 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 and people say, you know, can it actually be fixed and, or is it, is it too far broken? And I think the answer is yes. I mean, there's a positive message here is that because we've been so slow to kind of figure things out or, or move in, in the right direction, um, we only have to look beyond our borders to see another, a number of other countries that are older than us. 
um, that have actually been working on these issues for years and have tried and, and figured out some things that we actually can apply here in Canada. And so a country that I often look to is Denmark, because while people say, oh, it's a small country, it's only about six million people, um, you know, they have a smaller geography, they could fit in one of our provinces, so why even bother? Um, because they also have a publicly funded healthcare system. Their healthcare system looks largely like our system. But, you know, back in 1988, that's where our system started to look very different because they had the exact same issues we had. They had a rapidly aging population at that time, as we did too. And they started seeing that, wait a minute, um, when we don't actually have adequate infrastructure for older people, then we tend to actually be institutionalizing them, putting them into care homes. But those care homes can be very expensive. Um, And home care is actually what they want, and it's actually a lot cheaper to provide that. So that's when Denmark actually created an explicit policy in the late 80s, where they were going to start making huge investments in their home care program moving forward. And by doing that, they actually avoided building any new nursing home beds over the next 20 years. And they actually closed thousands of hospital beds because their hospitals were no longer filled with people waiting to go to their own homes um, or to go to a nursing home because they had robust, adequate home care that could be initiated within, you know, as short as 24 hours um, and allow people to leave hospital as soon as possible and stay in their own homes for as long as possible. Because right now in Canada, um, our Canadian Institutes of Health Information says between 10 to 30% of the people entering long-term care homes in Canada don't even need to go there because they could probably be supported to live independently in the community, you know, with adequate home care supports. So all the data that we have in our country, um, it just shows, uh, you know, kind of the example of when we don't follow the lead of Denmark, where we're ending up. But the good news is, is that we can start making similar changes now um, that could actually achieve some of the same outcomes. And one would think, and I just have a few minutes left here, this is such a fascinating topic, we could talk about this all night, so I'll have to have you back on to talk about it some more. Um, But given what happened during the pandemic, one would think that the impetus is now there uh, within Canadian culture, Canadian, the Canadian population, to make these changes. It is. And I think it it very much is because uh, you just have to look to uh, Ontario, which is uh, about to call an election. And you can immediately see that while um, this current government has talked about putting, you know, more people, um, building more care homes and building more long term care homes. That's not the advice I gave to this government back in 2018 when they got elected. I said, you need to follow Denmark. You need to invest more in home care. We've got examples of how those investments will pay off in dividends. They decided to build 30,000 new beds. But I think the reckoning that's come here where public opinion is saying we want more home care and everybody realizes that home care is cheaper. Um, it's now leading to the Ontario government after a few years of grossly underfunding our home care system to now saying we're going to at least pledge a billion dollars over three years and you've got the other two political parties making home care a key part of their platform. So, you know, I think, you know, we're starting to read the tea leaves and understand that, frankly, um, if I appeal to politicians by them desperately wanting to get elected by giving us what we want and actually saving money at the same time, then great. Uh, but I think the key is that we need to move forward in this direction. And I'm glad to see it's now, you know, it's now influencing a political agenda as well. Dr. Samir Sinha, thank you so much for your time tonight. I look forward to continuing this conversation in the future. Thanks for having me, Ben.